You're listening to the Video Marketing Podcast, helping you go a little more viral every day. Here's your host, Matt Johnston. Oh, welcome everybody. I'm so happy to have you here today. Another episode of the Video Marketing Podcast going into the books. We've been around for like a year now, which is pretty cool. Consistently, every week on your radio dial. I don't know. I'm old. I used to be in radio. You guys don't know that I have got my start in radio. I started in NPR. That was my first job out of college was an NPR station. And then uh, where I was like an anchor and in radio operations. And then I just moved into theater before eventually going to graduate school for news journalism. And then I got into, I have the weirdest career. I love it. It makes me who I am. I have another Renaissance man with me here today, Joe Polizzi. Joe, thank you so much for, for being here. Oh, it's it's great to be here. You know, I, I got my start at Gold 101 in Clyde, Ohio, and I did live remotes at mostly um, county fairs. So, <laughs> you know, that That's we have a lot. In, we have a lot in common. Yeah, I used to. They, we had a. I used to uh, take a long boat with me, and we were the boat of prizes, and I'd give away bumper stickers and stuff like that. And then I, I remember I'd go to different places and you know do okay, you got the live remote coming on, and I'd have to talk about you know this guy that works at the meat shop and how they're you know they were selling a lot of sausage that day or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. I'm. It was so uncomfortable, but such great experience. I think but about yeah. County Fair and I'm just like picturing Joe. We're on video chat right now. I'm just like picturing Joe, like, I don't know why, like hanging a blue ribbon around a pig or something. Like you, Wilbur. <laughs> I, I, it was such, I mean, I was 18 years old. I was like the intern, but they sent me out on assignments by myself because they, the guy didn't care. He owned the station. He was a multimillionaire. He's just like, okay, you go out and do this. And I remember the one time it's, it's like, I, I didn't really know how to to get a boat from uh, from the shores around Sandusky, Ohio, to Putin Bay, where there was there was going to be a gathering. He's like, "Oh, you'll figure it out." And then just dock over here, and I'm scared to death. And then I get there, and I'm supposed to, you know, be a judge in a bikini contest, and I'm supposed to MC that. And I'm like, "This is this is the strangest." It was the strangest summer I'd ever oh had. Oh my so, gosh! Yeah. No, there it is. I can even I can even hear it. Gold one hundred and one. It's like it's such a radio station name, right? Yeah. This is Joey Scott on the spot with Gold one hundred and one, Clyde, Ohio. <laughs> I used to Where's do Clyde. You're Clyde, in Ohio. Oh, Where's... it's 20, twenty minutes outside. You know where Sandusky, Ohio is at? Sandusky, Ohio is in between. No, I don't know anything about okay. Ohio. Sandusky, <laughs> Ohio, home of home of Cedar Point Amusement Park is in the middle of Toledo, Ohio and Cleveland, Ohio. And, and Clyde's just a little bit, little city in between that. But I used to do traffic reports because Cedar Point traffic in Sandusky, Ohio was a big deal because you had people coming from Michigan and from Cleveland into this amusement park, one of the best known amusement parks in the Midwest. And I didn't want to go out and do anything. So basically I, I lived right off of the causeway going into the amusement park. And I just used to do my... A little okay. We're uh, we're doing a little. You know, the traffic looks clear going into Cedar Point. You're not going to have any problems this morning. <laughs> Who cares? I woke up right out of bed and did my weather or did my traffic and weather report and went back to bed. Nobody, you, you know what's great about radio? And I promise everybody we will get into things that matter to you. Uh, but uh, what I loved about working in radio was that nobody knew what was going on on the other end. So when I was in college, actually, the reason I got that job in radio is I was the sports director of my radio station and I did tons of play-by-play. -play. I called hundreds of games. Uh, we had like a D1 lacrosse program and everything. I got to travel a lot, uh, but I would do hockey occasionally. There is nothing more difficult than doing play-by-play -play oh for hockey. Yeah. It moves so fast. There's very little scoring. It moves very fast and the possessions are always changing between teams. And I swear, I swear to you, I made up at least 70% of what was going on out there. That I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, baseball is one thing because there's so little action. And then you're basically just talking about you need all kinds of stats and storytelling story in between to fill yeah. time. Hockey, I wouldn't even know. I mean, you'd have to be on five-hour energy just to get through that thing, I would imagine. I don't know how you Especially on radio. Yeah, you just remember the guy's names that you can. It's like, you know, like passes it up to the center. Oh, loses it on the wing. Now clears it out, 
cleared out by the goalie to the other side. Now it's passed along the boards and onto the outside. You know, it's just like, <laughs> who knows? Wow. You know, That's I'm trying gift. my best. That is a gift. <laughs> Good for you. And now you're oh doing a video. Yeah, now you're doing in video marketing. Who knew? <laughs> you know what though i got so good oh my gosh i used to call basketball games sometimes where i would talk to my i would do them by myself i'd have to do play by play in color by myself i got like i swear it was years ago now i'm 38 years old so it was like 20 years ago but man back in the day i got i still honed those skills of being able to talk to myself like talk to the air about whatever forever and it really does help with video like i can just talk about anything on the spot and i really think it's because of the sports broadcasting who stuff. knew that that experience in radio and sports broadcasting brought you to this spot you'd have never <laughs> known it's you'd crazy known. it's crazy it's crazy anyway if you yeah. don't know joe <laughs> joe is uh joe is uh best-selling author of uh killing marketing contenting epic content marketing uh he has a book called the will to die is that fiction are yeah, you you're all over the yeah. place not yeah we hit a couple uh a couple of best-selling charts on on amazon for it's a it's a marketing thriller so if you're a marketing person and you like mysteries <laughs> you're gonna love the will to die set by the way in sandusky ohio there you go. You can work and play at the same time in Sandusky, Ohio. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Did you work Gold 101 into oh, it? Geez. Oh, geez. No, I didn't work that into it, but I wanted to. <laughs> uh, he, he's the founder of the Content Marketing Institute. Uh, you probably know them. They're huge. They hold the huge Content Marketing World Conference uh, every single year. Um, he's also done a million other things, including a, a foundation called The Orange Effect, delivering speech therapy and technology services to kids in over 25 states. Maybe I should have you on a whole nother podcast to talk about that because that sounds amazing. Yeah, as that's soon as I current, read that, thank yeah, you. as soon as I read that, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta launch a charity. That's my current <laughs> passion. It's, hey, it's, it's so my, cool. Yeah, I've been, we've been working on that for two, 14 years now. And uh, you know, you don't know, you don't know it's a need until you f figure it out that there's, there's kids out there that, and families that can't afford speech therapy. So, and so they'll go without uh, because they're trying to put food on the table. Of course, they're going to go without speech therapy because they're hungry. And so we, we and, but they need, they want to communicate. So what do you need? What do you do? So, so that's, we fundraise and so that those kids can get speech therapy from normally ages two to seven, uh, where it's when it's needed most early intervention. So that's awesome. I actually know that world pretty well. When I was in theater in my twenties, my day job was nonprofit fundraising in direct mail. If you can wow. believe that, I've been everywhere. You I have the weirdest here. background. Yeah. You have, I swear, I have the weirdest have background. Weird background. I thought I had a weird background, but I, <laughs> you might have me beat. You might have me beat. Such a such a such a weird background. Uh, well, anyway, I'd love to ask you more about that. Maybe we'll connect off air about that because that's interesting. Off the air, as you, as you may say. <laughs> but but we're here to talk about. Uh, obviously, you know, Joe Joe knows everything about content marketing. He's one of the he's one of the best in the world at it. Uh, and certainly a thought leader in content marketing. There's all sorts of things that Joe and I could have talked about today, but one of the things that came up when Joe and I were chatting about what to discuss on this show is, is long form content marketing in video, long term video, long, long form video content marketing. I think it's fascinating because a lot of you who know me, you know that, I, that I'm, you know, I'm the short social video guy, right? And I think it's, I think it's really interesting uh, that we don't, we don't really talk about long form very much. Part of the reason is uh, sometimes it's hard to make long form work on social. You have to have a yep. bigger plan for it a lot of times. And let's be honest, resources, right? And planning and creativity and all of those things. That being said, Joe, you've done it and both seen opportunities out there. You've seen people doing it well in ways that really move the needle for brands depending on what it is and uh, i think it's fascinating on how you might actually work that in and i've been a part of it too especially when i was at uh when i was at new york magazine we won an award for like a long-form journalism piece like a mini doc i don't even think about it these days when i'm in video marketing consulting because we're always beating that social drum so i'm super interested to hear from you the value of that so let's start there what's the why so, so uh, let me let me share with you an example because sure. we thought a lot about this. So, in let me take you back to 2012, 2013. So we had 150,000 email subscribers for Content Marketing Institute. We had a print magazine called Chief Content Officer. We had Content Marketing World. I, so I come from the publishing industry. So I always believed in 
you really need the, the three legs of the stool. You need the, the online component, you need the print component, you need the event component. That's how I was brought up. That was, you know, go back to the early 2000s. That's what we were taught. Things have changed a little bit, but not much. But once you build those, uh, a loyal audience, let's say, whatever platform, how do you take that audience to the next level? How do you get that audience to truly be loyal for you? And where do you look at opportunities where it's not just the same old content you're putting out? So that's where, like in your case, you're putting out the short social. Well, how do you take it to the next level? How do you really find something that's going to be sticky and shareable and then get to new audiences that you didn't even know existed because it's in a different format? Some people like to engage into it in a different way. And at the same time, in so 2013, we knew, even though a lot of people knew what content marketing was, you had a huge group of very influential advertising people that had no clue what content marketing was. You said content marketing, they just be like, what? What are you talking about? We're like, look, if, if we're going to put the flag in the ground and say that content marketing is a real practice area, we've got to get more people from the advertising community at least aware of what's going on. And stop to stop ignoring us because we talked about we talk about the size of advertising versus content marketing. Advertising is like the sun. Content marketing is like Pluto. It's not even a planet. That's the that's the size difference we're talking about. We're like, mm -hmm. okay, we, we need those people to come over there. We'll come over here to the content marketing side. How do we do that? We said there's nothing better than long form. In this case, a documentary. So we, cut, we created something called the story of content. We wanted to talk about the hundreds of years of history of content marketing, that it was uh, you know, from Ben Franklin to Jell-O to Red Bull, uh, and then had this path of, this is really something that's been going on for a long time. It's not just this new flash in the pan because social media is here. This is a real way to, that people have been communicating for a long, long time. So we thought, okay, that advertising community, and then the secondary community is how do we get this with, with kids that are just learning about content marketing? Well, documentary would work from that perspective as well. And when we went, we started talking to a lot of teachers, a lot of professors. Hey, would you show this in your classroom? Would you get your large groups of marketing and journalism students together to watch this? So those were the two main audiences. And we're like, okay, since we have our loyal audience here, how do we go out and get these two new audiences and really make this work? And that, and I'll tell you what, I couldn't believe it. It actually worked. I mean, we put some, as you know, documentaries aren't easy. We went out, we did a lot of interviews all over the country, interviewed a lot of really smart people. I think the documentary is something like 50 or 55 minutes long. So it's not even an hour. Uh, and it went, it was so successful. We had the opening premiere night sponsored by, uh, you know, a video marketing company and, uh, and we got it on Amazon and, you know, you can still watch it on Amazon and it's been watched tens of thousands of times. And for the most part, those people never had, you know, never even heard of content marketing before engaging in that. So I think we were able to, and so what's happened from them? I can't draw a direct line, but what do I think happened from that standpoint? From when that started, you didn't have a lot of chief content officers. We didn't have a lot of VPs of content in brands. You didn't have a lot of content marketing managers at that time. Those are all been new positions over the past 10 years. And I think a lot of that has to do with getting that documentary in front of, in front of people who, who never even knew this was a thing. So from that standpoint, I think that's an opportunity. So if you were, if you were going to go out to a new audience, that, I think that's something that I would absolutely look at. If you're on the B2B or the B2C side, it's like, okay. This is a really important audience. How do we make a thing out of this? Mm. Because as you know, you're doing regular video, regular anything, regular blog, regular video. It's time intensive, resource intensive. It's almost, it's, it's not forgiving at all. You have to show up all the time. This is like doing, this is like doing a movie. You've got actors. You've got to plan things. You've got to work around people's schedule. You've got to uh, storyboard it. You've got to do all these things and you've got to bring in some professionals to make it go. And what did it cost us? It cost us, uh, you know, I think to put it together, it probably cost us about $35,000, $40,000 total. So not, you know, not the largest expense in the world, but we actually made money on it. So because we got all, we sponsored the premiere and sponsored a bunch of other things. Oh yeah, we, the sponsors, great. Yeah, so we made money on it from that perspective. But I, we, I just wanted to break even. 
all I wanted to do was, can we get this thing out and, and put this flag in and, and see what happens? Hmm. Interesting. I, I want to go back to something you said before. Now you're like Mr. Content Marketing. And there's one question that everybody always has for content marketers. Uh, and that is <laughs> when you said, I couldn't, I can't draw a direct line. Yeah. And tell me about that. What is your perspective on that? I just love to ask people uh, who are who just work in the content marketing space, less in the paid advertising space about like how you, you know, because people I'm sure you've come across this all the time. How do you measure the ROI of this content? How do you answer that question? Sure. Well, it, it, uh, first of all, it depends on your business model. So for content marketing Institute, very easy to measure. I know the exact value of every email subscriber we have and how much they spend and what their and and what the overall value of the company is because we are valued on an on a earnings per or a revenue per and the only reason that we have revenues in the first place is because we built an audience of 240,000 email subscribers so that's easy yeah that's looking at it like a media company so that's why when we go out right. we're looking at ac an mergers asset. and acquisitions yeah you've just built an asset okay so let's take it from the brand side and what I want to know, and, and I don't know, let's say you're a brand and you start a podcast email newsletter combo or a, you know, or a video show with subscribers. And then also I always like the email component because at least they have more control over those email subscribers than you do, let's say YouTube or Facebook fans or whatever. I want to know what do those people do differently? That's the question that you should be asking as a content marketing manager or a marketing manager. So I'll give you an example of, um, of something that was very hard to, to prove for Content Marketing Institute. I could prove that we could break even or make money off advertising for Chief Content Officer Magazine. But how do you prove that Chief Content Officer Magazine is moving the needle? Well, it took two years for me to get this data. It was not easy. But what I finally figured out by looking at all the data we had is that those people that subscribed to Chief Content Officer Magazine with that being the differentiator versus those that did not subscribe to Chief Content Officer Magazine was significantly higher yield of spend than those that didn't. So basically, those customers, those subscribers were worth more than those that didn't. So it makes the case for, we have to get more people subscribed to Chief Content Officer Magazine, not for making money off the magazine, but they spend more and stay with us more often. So they're more valuable. So let's go back to whoever's listening to this. Are people that listen to your podcast more valuable? Okay, you just have to ask that question. Then you can go into the data and figure out, well, are they buying, are they buying more? Do they sign up for more things? Do they talk more about us on social media? What, I don't know. Then you can figure out the answer to that. So that's, it really just comes down to how, what's the difference in behavior? That's, that's the only, actually the only question. That's marketing, right? Why are we marketing? We're marketing to maintain or change behavior. Done. Okay, well, what are they doing differently? If they're doing nothing differently, then you've got a problem. You probably, should, you probably shouldn't be doing it. The challenge is usually, usually you do find something. It just takes so long to get the data. That's when if, if somebody says, uh, you know, I got six months, Joe. I want to do a video marketing series. Um, you know, what do you think I should do? I'd say nothing. Go, uh, go buy advertising, go interrupt some people. You're going to put six months into a video. You're going to put six months into trying to build a long-term asset, a long-term informational annuity in six months. You're going to put into it. I, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for your impatience. You know, that's why when you look at how long did it take Red Bull to become Red Bull media house? Four years. Five years until they really had something, it started with a Formula One magazine, turned into Red Bulletin magazine, turned into all the crazy Red Bull videos you have, and now you have Red Bull Media House. But it took a long time to get there, just like building any media property takes. So, I don't know, did I answer your question? I don't know. I love <laughs> I'm it. I'm rambling. I love it. I'm going on and on, so. No, I mean, of course, after two years, if you've really tracked people really well, theoretically, you could see that. The other thing that really sticks out to me about this is it's just, it's got me thinking about like Seth Godin and permission marketing, 
we often talk so much about like just get the followers, grab the subscribers, views, vanity metrics, things like that. You were, you're talking about getting people to opt in for very specific things with very spe uh, specific value adds and then moving them through your sales funnel, through content. That's powerful. They're telling you that they want to be there and for, to hear from you, which is interesting. That, that's, uh, I, I did a presentation a week ago and I don't know, I, I like this, uh, visual because it makes sense to me. And I said, okay, you're a corporate marketer. I said, I want you to take all the content you have, all your, your email newsletters, your podcasts, your social, Twitter, Facebook, take all that content. And I want you to put it in a box, seal it up and ship it off on Amazon prime or whatever. Just get rid of it. And the question that I have is, did your customers even notice? Mm. Because most of the time when I do these content audits, I'm most, you know, for, you know, seven years I was doing consulting for mostly billion dollar enterprises. And uh, most people don't notice. They, the, the, it's inconsequential content. They're just, they're just busy, busy creating content. Oh, we gotta, we gotta fill the pipes, gotta fill all the social pipes. So when we'd go in and do a content audit, the, they would think we would come back with a recommendation that said, oh, well, you gotta do, you got to do uh, a big event series or webinar, virtual event series. And we come up with all these content ideas every time it was always stop creating so much content and focus on doing something great instead of mediocre everything. And that's by the way, 99% of enterprises out there, they're creating more content year after year after year. And most of it at best is mediocre. So what we're trying to do is, you only have so many resources and energy in any company. So instead of doing, uh, you know, 10, 13 different key content creation initiatives, let's get, let's cut 10. I mean, let's, what are you doing them for? My, uh, are you doing them for legacy reasons? Uh, are they even having it? You have to ask yourself, are they having impact? Is that, is your, is your LinkedIn channel that, that po two posts uh, a week that you're doing on LinkedIn, is it making impact. First of all, you probably don't know. Second of all, you better go find out. Okay, that video series that you've been doing for the last two years, is it making any impact? Somebody's going to, most likely, they don't know. They don't really know. Okay, well, let's find out. Let's see. Uh, and then, then you can make the decision. If we, we think, if it's okay, then put the resources in to make it great, to make it the best in the industry. Um, and then if it's not doing okay, or you don't want to put the resources in it, cut it. And you think that, oh my God, what are we going to do? Our customers have been getting this for the last two years. And then you realize you've stopped it for three months and nobody noticed. So focus on, I being, love great. It. Focus on being great at a few things and stop it. If you create content for everybody, you're creating content for nobody. So just focus on a couple good things. I love this. I mean, this is what this show is all about is getting perspective because they hear me beating a different drum all the time. And it's not necessarily, they, you, they, they. <laughs> the royal they. <laughs> it's not necessarily that I beat a different drum necessarily, but, I, but I, I'm a big believer in being omnipresent, right? So like everywhere you go, can you see, for example, I run a very like Gary Vee-ish type like content situation for myself, right? Like I put out a new video a day across all platforms. And uh, I, so for me, I'm kind of like, how can I be everywhere giving value to people wherever they go? Like if you go on TikTok, I'm giving value. You go on LinkedIn, I'm giving value. Yeah. But at the same time, this does severely take away the resources that I would have to create longer form video, uh, types of video content. I mean, it just does. You know, and, and, and in some ways it's filling the pipe, but in some ways there is some, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a very different way, a very different way of looking at it. But at the end of the day, I do think that it's hard for people to answer that question. Is it working or are you just doing it? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, it's interesting. You mentioned Gary Vee and, uh, and, you know, that stuff he's doing with TikTok and whatever, because I talked to my, my son who's 17 years old. He, he knows Gary Vee real well because he sees him oh, on yeah, TikTok sure. every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I mean, that, that approach may work, but it, it works so rarely. It's very rare. If it works for you and for Gary Vee and it works for a handful of others, 
the whole the hustle and be everywhere. You're, and by the way, I used to I I, I wrote it in my book, get content, get customers, two thousand eight. I said, be everywhere your customers are out on the web, because you know what? At that time, it wasn't too resource intensive <laughs> to do that. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, now fourteen years later, thirteen years later, it's much more difficult to be there and to cut through the clutter and to truly make an impact on customers. Yeah. Unless it's amazing. Uh, I'll give you a really good example of like one, like my, my model that I would espouse is Joe Rogan. Now Joe Rogan is doing the greatest podcast he can do with his personality and what, and, and, and tilt. Uh, and it's fantastic. And then he has the video basically he just repurposes it over to video, but it's on the, on podcast. He says, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not wasting my time on those platforms. I'm going to be on Twitter and I'm going to be on Facebook. He's making a strategic decision to be present on certain platforms and to not be on the others. Did it work for him? Yeah, he just sold for 200, 300 million. Who knows what the price is going to be to Spotify. Um, so that's, I think, a more realistic strategy for those companies that can't be on 24 hours a day. So that's where I'm, I'm going. I'm going to them and I'm saying, look, okay, uh, your e-newsletter is absolutely terrible. So <laughs> it is not valuable at all. It is pitchy. You're just repurposing stuff. Uh, maybe you should rethink that or stop doing it at all. That, I think that's where most people are at right now. So do one thing really, really well. And then once you do one thing really, really well, then you can diversify. And by the way, that's just media 101. If you look at any media company from the New York Times, the Huffington Post, they started doing one thing really well. New York Times, great newspaper. Huffington Post, one great blog. TED Talks, focused on their in-person TED Talk series, right? Rush Limbaugh, love them or hate them, radio. They focus on being great at one thing. Once they build what we would call a minimum viable audience on one, one way, then they diversified out. Now New York Times does events. They do virtual stuff. They sell all affiliate marketing. They're doing a little bit of everything. But they didn't just go out doing everything. They went out doing one thing. And I think that's what, that's if you're, if you're going to follow how a media company becomes great, you do one thing and then you diversify once you do that. And we did that at Content Marketing Institute. We just created a, a blog for three years and an e-newsletter component. That's it. And then, we launched the magazine, then we launched the podcast, then we launched the, um, the event. So that's, that's what I would espouse. I think what you and Gary Vee are doing, you have to, I don't know how you have the energy you have to do those types of things. Takes a lot of energy, right? It takes yeah. a lot of energy. Absolutely. I, I completely understand that. Sometimes I worry about when I do, cause, because I used to, uh, I mean, so like I come from media companies, right? Like I was there in the early days of Business Insider and yeah. I was one of the first four or five people on the video team. And now there's hundreds, right? But at the time it was really a blog, like a really high traffic blog. And then I moved to like an editor on the site and I was dealing with blogs and doing 250 headlines a day and like media company. And then that video program grew very slowly into what it is now. It was, they were just dabbling in it and I was helping like create what it was. Um, so absolutely. And I do really feel like every brand needs to build a media company inside of it. That's something I feel really strongly about. I think that it's a great idea to like see yourself in that way so you can build that asset um, and, and just sort of see how that can do like both your bottom line and your brand awareness and whatever it may be. Well, and you're right. Actually, if you were starting a company today, you, you should create an information media company and then you can sell whatever products you want to. We are, most, most startups do it backwards. They're like, oh, we got this great shiny new. Well, that is the hardest way to launch a business. The better way to launch a business is let's create the audience for that product, but let's create the audience first through some information service. And then once they become loyal customers, we can monetize them six, seven, up to 10 different ways. That's, that's Amazon's model. Now nobody looks at that, but the Amazon is the, the largest media company in the world. Just people don't think of it that way, but they started very, very small, very small. And now they're, you know, they're into everything, but that's, that's how I would, 
That's how I would do it. So any entrepreneurs listening to this, create your media company first, keep that product in your back pocket because probably that product is probably not right. You're going to have to pivot at some point anyways. So just skip the whole pivot thing and build a loyal audience and then figure out what that loyal audience would actually like to buy. And then that's what you can launch. So. See, that's what I, we, we always had this back and forth when I was at New York Magazine where we were just like, how do we monetize all of this stuff? And then we would have all of these conversations and the general manager who I worked very closely with said the same thing to me all the time. He's like, we've got to, what I want to do is build this brand up larger. We were talking about the entertainment brand Vulture at the time, sure. build it bigger and then sell products to that audience, right? And I was running video at the time. So we were like, okay, so should we, be, should we be developing specific series that people would sort of opt in for? This is where it goes to this sort of permission marketing type thing, which is interesting. When you build that media company first, instead of the way most brands are, because every entrepreneur I know isn't doing this, right? So, uh, but, but the thing is, they're also not really building an audience. The product is building a bit of an audience based on, you know, features and benefits. Yeah. But if you build that law, that, that information based audience, people are opting in for reasons of value, which is like the most important thing. If you can provide value to people, not just through your products, but through your ideologies as a brand and how you change. I, I, I like to define value. At least this is how I define it in my book is changing people's lives in big or little ways. So it can be like a hack to curl your hair better, or it sure. can be like amazing epiphany that you have in a moment based on perspective. But if you're constantly feeding that to people, they're going to want to buy stuff from you. So every brand, if every brand is finding a way to do that, you will win. It's just, uh, it, can be a, it can be a difficult conversation to have sometimes because again, you get back to this ROI, right? And that it's about a sea change in thinking about how you think about your brand, how you think about your audience, how you think about your customers. Because it's not the way it's always been done. That's the, I mean, I believe that the marketing organization should be a profit center. I've always believed that. But if you talk to a chief marketing officer about that, they look at you like you have two heads. I had a conversation with one of the largest uh, consumer packaged goods companies back in 2015. Wanted to build a whole network, a whole media network. Went through the whole thing. So we're going to launch this one for this network and these for women who like to do this and this, that, and the other. And it's mm -hmm. going to take us and we're going to want to hire this editor over here and bring in it. Had the whole plan. And I said, uh, well, for six of these, why don't you just purchase that company and that company and that company so you can, you, you can get to monetization quicker. And by the way, they're hurting a little bit financially because the media model stinks. So why don't you go ahead and take those? They have a built-in audience. Half of, a lot of that audience might even be your customers. You could probably start selling right away. And he looked at me like, what? Like I could actually buy media companies and integrate them into my organization? Said, yeah, absolutely. This is still a foreign concept. But as you know, coming from publishing, it happened all the time. That's all we do. Oh my gosh, too Before, much. Well, that's, Constantly. But, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like uh, when we, we talk about how many different brands we've launched. And, but if you're in publishing, you are taught, you do not want to organically launch something if you don't have to. You would rather purchase it. Because it takes three years. They, they teach you, say, it's, you're going to get, you break even in three years. Well, nobody's got three years anymore. So let's go buy it. So that's where, that's where the opportunity is at right now. I mean, you're going to see, you've already started it. I think ad week last week was purchased again by an investment company. I think that in the next 12 to 18 months with all this chaos going on, you're going to see so much M and a happen. And that M and a hopefully if I'm right, which I've been, I'm wrong all the time, but let's just say this time brands should be purchasing more of these media companies than media companies purchasing media companies. Oh, I love it. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even since I started, right. I mean, I was, so I, I was a business insider. They got bought while I was there. I moved on to New York magazine and I left before, but then they sold the Vox like literally six to eight months after I left or yeah. something like that. So that consolidation is just everywhere. Right. When I was at now this running those video teams, uh, they had just gone through a big merger. They weren't necessarily bought, but they were part of this like group that included others. And it, it felt like bought in a lot of ways. Um, it's just th these conversations are going on all the time. Meanwhile, I think that the, the, the sort of 
the narrative about these media companies is that they can't monetize themselves. And it's interesting that you say this. When we were at Business Insider, I was part of the launch team on Tech Insider. Okay. And we, me and a bunch and like 15 other people, like we got into a room, we launched this spinoff brand. Uh, obviously, he told us to launch. <laughs> we, we, I mean, we were supposed to. A bunch of resources put into it. And uh, it only lasted about a year and a half. Um, and I believe it's because they couldn't sell it. And what if they just like, I don't know, bought The Verge or something at the time instead <laughs> and like integrated that in or something. Um, I don't know, but it's very prescient to what you say, like trying to launch this on your own rather than building it in. Now that was a publisher with a publisher. A company buying a publisher is a whole other, it's a whole other way of thinking because you have to see the value in creating the media asset. The, the Aero Electronics, uh, one of the largest uh, seller of electronics components in the business market. They wanted to become the largest media company in the business electronics space. They went out and purchased 51 different media properties, mostly from UBM, company out of London. And now when you say, okay, who, who has the biggest audience of business electronics engineers in the world? It's not a media company. It's Aero Electronics. So they have a whole separate subdivision that they're using to market their products and services. But at the same time, they're actually profitable on those at the same time. So you're mm -hmm. talking about launching a meet. They've done this. So this is, not a, this is not a new thing. It's been done. It's just nobody talks about it. It's, I, I don't understand it. It's, but, but what I just told somebody on like, what should marketers prepare to do at, from skill during this time of uncertainty that everybody <laughs> talks about? I said, marketers should learn about the art of acquisitions because in five years, it's going to be part of your job to look for acquiring audiences instead of just creating them. No, so that's, that's my advice for any marketer listening. Go learn the art of M&A right now. And uh, I mean, my, if, I didn't, if I wasn't taught that in public, we would have never been able to sell Content Marketing Institute for what we did. Uh, we, just because we purchased three media properties along the way. And I, cause I learned to do it when I was in publishing like you did. And they're no brainers, but you just don't, you don't think about it. You know, you, you think that there's a big for sale sign on these media companies, you know what it is. It's just like, if you want to buy a house, you have to go up to the house and say, and, and the owner and say, Hey, I'm interested in buying your house. I know you don't have a for sale sign out, but can we talk about it? That's how media deals are done. They're done all by, nobody says they're for sale. If somebody says they're for sale, they're in real trouble. It's a it, fire it's, sale. It's yeah. a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot. I was at, it was the same thing. I was at Rodale. I was hired out of New York Magazine to run all of video at like Men's Health, Women's Health, Bicycling, Runner's World. Third day on the job, company's gone. <laughs> they, they, they didn't sell the company, but, I got, but we got an email that said we're exploring sale of the company, which obviously means they're selling the company. Uh, fast, it was just, just a fascinating time to be in media. I think between you on the consumer side and me on the business publishing side, I think we've got 50% of the media companies covered. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Seriously. I know. I have a crazy background. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, so anyway, uh, so touching a little bit more on doing more resource intensive content. So if I'm looking at what I should actually create out there what should i what what are the right questions to ask myself you know like from a content perspective yeah to create like long form video content yeah. let's say you're like i want to make a 20 minute mini doc about something because i feel like this is going to be like a like a flagship content piece for our for our brand yeah i mean i think what you want to look for is a big audience question so like, like when we, when we did the story of content documentary, we wanted to answer the question, why content marketing in an unequivocal fashion? That's just, wow. Yes, of course. Of course. Why? Yes. It's so important to what's going on in America. I mean, it's, this is incredible. So if you have an audience and what if, is there something, whether that's a conspiracy or whether, what, it, what is it? That is really driving your audience. That, that so what? So what was it for you? What, what was it? Just that? Just you know, what is content marketing? 
basically it was I just think, like a lack of awareness around it no i, I it, but it was it was what is but it was really the per, like a purpose behind it when what? we went and we talked with people that were doing it there was a deep purpose behind how everyone was communicating with their audience and how important it was and this it just isn't marketing it's more than marketing and that's it's kind of how i talk about it when i'm doing motivational stuff around content marketing i'll say look who wants to sell stuff Nobody wants this. I don't want to sell something to you. I want to inspire you. I want to help you. That's content marketing. It's, it's marketing without marketing. It's marketing without selling. It's kind of the way I look at it. So I'm really trying to help you. I'm trying to change your life, help you live a better life, get a better job. And because I'm doing that, you're rewarding me by buying my stuff. Why wouldn't you? Of course you're going to buy my stuff because I'm helping you with living a better life. That's, that's what I wanted to get across because everyone at the time in 2013, 14, when we launched, before we launched that, thought that content marketing was a fad. It's just going to go away. So part of that, I had to go into the history of it and go back a hundred, couple hundred years and talk about the advent of Jell-O and talk about the Michelin guide and how those things were content marketing initiatives that nobody knew about. And then talk about, you know, go into Red Bull and talk to those people and why it was so important to them. So that's... It, the opportunity then for long form video, and you know this because if you're doing short form social stuff, you just can't cover things. I mean, if you're in any part of video news, they're saying, okay, you got three minutes and this is the, this is the, the, the this three word thing uh, that you have to cover that you have to, that's the, that's the perspective you have to take and whatever you have to do, pull that out of the people you're interviewing. And that's our going to be our three minutes. Well, for, you can't do you can't really get into anything deep and to really change people's minds, I don't think, unless you're talking about something longer and having a conversation in a way that's, that explains a little bit deeper. So that's what I would look at. So if you're going to do, let's say you do short form, what's short form video marketing to you? How long would that be? When you say short, is that, are you talking two minutes? Are you talking four minutes? 30 seconds? Yeah, I'm I'm talking like 40 to 50, 40 seconds to a minute. Yeah, so you're talking TikTok type stuff, like really really short. Okay. TikTok to like Instagram video. Okay. Yeah, yeah so you're talking super short. Well, you can entertain and you might be able to do a little bit of informing, but you certainly can't it's very difficult to persuade. So that's where I would I would put your persuasion content where you're really trying to change somebody's mind about something and that's where you're looking at doing you know we talked about it before we started today the, the Jordan-esque series of mm. oh if, if you it, like what's the purpose of that I don't know what the purpose is but after after watching it I almost thought that the purpose was to reach to really have Michael Jordan come back into the conversation as the greatest basketball player of all time because you sort of lost out on that when you get LeBron James coming in and Steph Curry, whatever you're talking about. So, well, Steph forget Curry. Steph Curry, because whatever. But LeBron James. Listen, three years ago, everybody was having that conversation with Steph Curry, and I was like, can we get him out of this conversation? I, I mean, he's awesome, but give me a break. <laughs> anyway, don't get me started. So, yeah, so that's the opportunity to really focus on how, do you, how are you – you need to change some opinions and change some people's perspective on things that are really important for your industry. Long-form video is perfect for that. And you could do it. You don't even have to do it in one. You could do it in a series. You could do it. Like I just watched, I don't know if you saw on the history channel, just did um, the grant mini series, three hour and 30 minute uh, little docudramas were fantastic. I mean, unbelievable. I learned, I did not know about Ulysses S. Grant in the way that I do now. I learned so much and I was so entertained, but you can't do that with short form. You can't, mm. you have to, you have to draw it out. So that's where I think, and, and you, you, we think we're in this uh, culture where we think that bite-sized content wins. I believe the opposite. Maybe bite-sized can distract and get your attention and pull you in, but you have an audience now, you could draw them into something real deep, have some really amazing conversations now. So maybe that's the way you think about that, that funnel where you get them, you dangle some of those bite-sized pieces of content, and then we really want to get them to the good stuff. Oh, yeah. Two really important things that I want to talk about here just to wrap up. The first is, so I am a, I say, it's, it's so funny because you and I have very different messages, but they're the same as far as the macro, 
right? Like my book is called Producing Empathy because I believe you want to like, people want to see themselves in content. They want to see a mirror and they want value and your job is to give them value. It's about the audience and not about the company, right? Um, what's interesting is I'm trying to think about, and of course I'm reflecting on myself, right? Because like, I'm obviously going to launch into doing one of these right now because that's my personality. But uh, <laughs> I'm like, 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 who are we serving, right? So for example, I'm B2B, and uh, I own a video marketing company and I do a bunch of other things too, but like there's leads, right? And so do I make content that will be for people that I would want to have as clients or do I make it towards somebody else? Second, and then for B2C, for example, who do I make that content about? My ideal customers and their pain points, wants and needs or something else. And then the other question that I just wanna briefly touch on because this is a big thing. I actually talk about this a lot in my book because I saw a lot of, for example, me and the New York Times were building our video programs concurrently. I guess, I guess New York Magazine and Business Insider Times. And uh, they were failing and I was winning because I was feeding that beast and optimizing the algorithm and giving value in bite-sized snippets. And I had a process where I would create short videos every day to fill the gas tank. And then I would create long form content a few times a month because the short form would pay the bills for the long form. Whereas the New York times, they were just making lots of long form content that was incredibly difficult to sell, incredibly difficult to get eyeballs on that was not optimized for social media that made it impossible to market. And they fired and rehired their video staff like two or three different times while I was in the publishing world. And so I talk about this a lot in the book because I'm trying to show the power of consistency with this type of content, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how to create a video strategy that works for you, that is continuing to fill the gas tank. Because the problem is, some people will just say, oh, well now I realize I should go all in on long form. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> and then they never do anything, right? There's a lot yeah. of inaction there. So anyway, the first question, who do you make the content for? Who do we ask the questions of to come up with our, our big idea? And second, how do you get eyeballs? Because it seems to me, especially the way that you're describing your documentary, you need to think about this as an event yes. more than anything else. Like this needs to be a thing. Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, event, it's a thing. The other thing is if you were going to do it, which we didn't, but I would treat it like a pillar piece of content, a quarterly thing. This is the thing we're covering this quarter. But the other thing, we really didn't even talk about it. You could just, you could do long form. And when I say long form in this case, I would say 15, 20 minutes. Yep. Uh, you, there's a lot of YouTube series out there that do 15, 20 minutes. I mean, Matthew Patrick, who we had speak at Content Marketing World, he does game theory. I talked to him, his, his average show is like 15 to 20 minutes and whatever. And I, and he, what he couldn't, when he did his presentation and said, my average watcher is 12 minutes. Like everybody's like, oh, I thought it was two minutes or 30 seconds or 45. He's like, no, he's like, they watch for 12 minutes. Well, why? Cause he's, de he's delivering to your point, consistent value over time. It didn't happen in the first five episodes. When, when did he knew after about nine months, but you know why nine months, most people stop. It is re it's attrition or whatever, you know, grit, you know, you'll, you'll get there, but you have to do it over a series of, so that, I think it's the consistency that's the most important. So from a long-term long form standpoint, create opportunity to do, do it consistently. Or as we talked about before, pillar pieces of content. If I was to do it over, do it over today, I wouldn't just do one documentary. I would do it as a quarterly series because I'm a big series guy. It's like, why, why do something one time when you could do it over and over again and build a loyal audience? So. Right. And so, and to go back to the first point, what do you, who, who do you make it for? Like, let's say, because I do, I know I have a lot of marketers and a lot of them have their own companies out there and they're probably thinking about this. Uh, and I have entrepreneurs as well. So we have a lot of people that own their own businesses, right? And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if 60 to 70% of my audience is B2B currently. So what would they be thinking about right now? Who are they making content for? You got to remember, you don't want to jump ahead to what we're creating before we figure out why we're going to do it in the first place. Right. Because if you go through the why, you go through, okay, here's the audience. You've got multiple audiences, right? You're B2B. You might have three or four or five different audiences. Here's the audience. Um, 
why am I talking to them? What's my purpose to them? What do I deliver to them? And you go through that whole thing and you create a content mission and you say, I'm, here's my audience. Here's what I deliver. And here's the hopeful outcome for them. I'm trying to help them get a better job or do something. Well, how can I bet? Then you go, how can I best do that? Now you're on, how am I going to tell the story? So then you get to the point where maybe long form video isn't the way to go. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's a virtual event series. Maybe it's a mini small, whenever we get to back to in-person events, maybe it's an in-person event series, those types of things. I think that's where we get stuck into, oh, we should be doing video. We should be on Twitter. We should be on Facebook. I can't answer that question because you haven't, you skipped the whole process of going through why we're doing this in the first place. Because sometimes the answer is no, you shouldn't do it. So. Mm. that's good stuff thank you so much joe where can we find out more about you oh geez yeah easiest is joe polizzi p-u-l-i-z-z-i.com you can find everything uh the latest book latest marketing book uh all right oh okay i got a free book um i just uh, wrote corona marketing 13 tips to deal with the pandemic um go to corona can we get Mar- that on your site yep corona yep corona marketing book.com will take you right oh, there great. that's probably the the best thing and then um orange effect.org for uh for the foundation stuff that's great that's that's awesome stuff and uh obviously we need to buy will or die i see it behind you there yeah, now, the will now, to die. there it is now hey. or sorry will to die i need you know i need this content marketing drama what is like what what's the premise here is it like a blogger who like dies in his bed and then they have to oh, investigate man. the murder I, I can't yeah but, but no the, uh, the the quick thing is is that it's a marketing agency guy and he's running a, he's trying to survive with his marketing agency and his father who runs a funeral home dies unexpectedly and he has to go back hometown and find out what what killed his father and it all goes from there but mm, that's cool we get to i get to throw in a lot of marketing things with my mystery stuff so if you're a marketing person you totally think it's funny when you you know there's a little seo thrown in <laughs> <and stuff laughs> like but it's yeah it, it's fun i enjoy, i'm just happy hap, uh, i'm glad it got I some love good that. reviews you're like sleuthing and you're like you're like oh i think that he used exact match instead of frame instead of phrase match on that. <laughs> Wait a minute. Exactly. exactly. I know what happened. He killed him with the butter knife. It's oh, geez. yeah. It's a little bit of that. But. <laughs> no, it's been fun being on. That was a that was a that was a really fun conversation. That was great. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate it, and thank you all for being here. We will we will talk to you soon. Please do uh, leave us a review if you've got value here today. We, we I, I know that helps us in in some little way. I always try to give you value. Have a great rest of your day.